where's the list? Hold on, we'll get here. We are here. Okay, uh, uh, just what, what, unbelievable. This was from the Big Seven Travel site. Uh, to quote the New Zealand dialect is outrageously charming. The sexiest action in the world is official. Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail... The party does not stop in New Zealand. The people have been revelling for days since we found out we do, in fact, have the sexiest accent in the world. Rory wore a dirty purple work shirt to court in Gore. A new job in the mining sector was advertised every six minutes. Whatever that industry called mining is, I'm having difficulty trying to understand it. Love it or loathe it, New Zealanders certainly have a distinctive sound. And recently the origins and development of that accent were explored in a piece on stuff.co.nz. Keith Lynch was the author of that piece, so I asked him to pop down to the studio and talk to me about it. First up, a bit of a surprise. You are Irish. I hope that doesn't come as a shock to you. Whereabouts in Ireland are you from? So I'm from um, I'm from a place called Galway, but um, I lived in a, a variety of different cities growing up. So I've always had a slightly unusual accent. I was born in Limerick first, started school in Cork, then moved to Galway when I was about 12, 13 years old. So in Ireland, those three places have very distinct accents of their own. So I ended up with kind of an amalgamation of those accents that probably changed a lot further when I moved to New Zealand. Um, it might not sound to it to a lot of people, but I actually sound quite a lot different to a lot of Irish people, particularly in Ireland. Separate places in Ireland, which is not a huge country, can have extremely different accents. Why is that? So it, it, it appears to be because hundreds of years ago, places like Limerick and Cork, which are... You know, these days it takes an hour to drive between those places, but they were quite isolated. So the people there didn't really have any kind of like contact with people outside of their own their own cities. And they ended up over time developing their own kind of dialect or accent, their own way of speaking. And that isolation allowed those um, particular ways of speaking to develop and grow. While that never really happened here in New Zealand. Ireland is actually quite an interesting case study for that, isn't it? Because, I mean, there are parts of Ireland, I think, the Aran Isles jumps jumps to mind for me, where up until relatively recently, the past sort of 30 or 40 years, English was hardly even spoken, and so very, very thick accents in some parts of, of Ireland. Yeah, yeah, and really distinctive as well. Um, the one that always jumps out to me is the is the Cork accent. The Cork accent is something else, isn't it? It's a bit special. It sounds a bit like Tinker's trying to speak French. Uh, <laughs> As you welcome your boy, you know. Welcome to Cork. Where you from yourself? Like, where, where are you from? Which just sounds unlike anything else you would hear in Ireland. And people have very particular kind of slang, very particular words that you just wouldn't hear anywhere else. And the north of Dublin is like that as well. Very, very strong accent that, uh, you know, is really unlike what you'd hear anywhere else in Ireland. When did you come to New Zealand, Keith? I came to New Zealand about 10 years ago. Okay. Is there a bit of a learning curve to the New Zealand accent, do you think? Uh, so before I moved here, I, I thought the New Zealand accent and the Australian accent was extremely similar. I you know, didn't really um, understand the differences. Since I've been here, I've kind of, you know, picked up subtle differences. But I do think the Australians and New Zealanders speak in quite a similar way. For me, no, I, I had no real problem with the New Zealand accent. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly why that is. Maybe it's because I'd already been exposed to so many different varieties of people speaking just from, you know, living in Ireland and mm. also kind of being close to the UK where 
um, how people speak is quite similar to Ireland. There's distinctive accents from, you know, different parts of the country. So you kind of have, you know, you have a pretty kind of attuned ear to different variations of English. Um, for me, the challenge was um, people in New Zealand didn't really understand what I was saying. And <laughs> my, my own accent kind of slowed down a lot over time. So is that, I mean, have you consciously had to adjust your accent or do you think that that has just kind of happened over time? Oh, absolutely. The first year that I arrived here, I was working as a reporter um, in uh, the newsroom, the press newsroom here in Christchurch. And I I remember, you know, dozens of interviews where I had to be extremely careful about how I spoke, <laughs> take a lot of time to, um, you know, spell out words that I was saying. It was It was pretty challenging for that first year. I definitely think I would have filtered out particular words that are, you know, challenging for New Zealanders to understand. For me, uh, the issue I have is THs are a bit of a struggle. Mm. So this is very common in Ireland, as you just heard when I said the word this, we kind of <laughs> say D or T. And that's particularly challenging for me because of my own name, yeah. which... Uh, particularly when I'm in loud environments, if I'm in a bar or at a, a social event... When I actually kind of tell people my name, they kind of double take and don't really understand what I'm saying. So there's a lot of spelling out K-E-I-T-H rather than just saying my name and, and moving on, which which is pretty vexing at times for people, I think. <laughs> I think you have a beautiful accent, Keith. Oh, you could read you. me the phone book any day. So tell me a bit about the origins of this this piece that you've written. You're the stuff explainer editor. What was it about the New Zealand accent that you kind of that you wanted to interrogate? Yeah, so I was I was having a conversation with a few a few friends, New Zealand friends, um, a few weeks ago. We were discussing um, uh, we were discussing the New Zealand accent, and one of the things that came up was the uh, the Southland burr, the Southland or the Southland accent is actually a fascinating phenomenon for linguists. A couple of years ago, a team from Canterbury University conducted a study into how it developed. Here's one of them, Dr. Lynn Clark, speaking to RNZ's Alison Balance. When you ask people about um, different accents in New Zealand and you give them a map, say, and you ask them to circle the different dialect areas, they overwhelmingly will circle Southland and they'll write something about how people have this rolled R. But it's the only feature that they can pick out. And it'd be really weird to say that an accent exists simply because of one single phonological feature. I was really curious as to why that was happening. And that kind of prompted me to kind of do a little bit of a deep dive in the accent and its origins. So um, what turned out to be the case with the actual Southland or is that the Southland accent, which is probably New Zealand's only distinctive or discovered regional accent, is actually being kind of um, documented by by linguists in this, you know, who work in this particular area, isn't necessarily spreading throughout the country, but how young people... Um, are speaking in New Zealand and particularly in Auckland is actually beginning to change. And there's a variety of kind of suggestions for why that might be. It could be because, you know, we're seeing greater diversity in Auckland in particular of all the New Zealand cities or um, there's kind of greater exposure to particular forms of media like TikTok, which Mm. are influencing how New Zealanders speak because rather than listening to people in their peer group or, you know, their friends who speak in similar accents, they're being kind of influenced by, you know, American TikTokers, for example, British TikTokers who might speak in slightly different ways that might be influencing how how New Zealanders are actually starting to speak. So, yeah, it was very, very interesting to kind of see how the New Zealand accent developed and how it's beginning to um, kind of evolve over time. 
One of those researchers looking at the changing Auckland accent is Miriam Meyerhoff, a professor of sociolinguistics at Oxford University who's currently in Auckland. Probably the easiest way to summarise it is to say that in communities where you have a lot of immigration, if they're in communities where there's no ethnic or ethno-linguistic majority, there seems to be, again, some kinds of levelling that's going out, that's happening. Certain features that are maybe a little bit irregular in the grammar of English are getting evened out, um, they're getting regularised, and some of the pronunciations that are quite distinctive in New Zealand English, so one of the ones that linguists like to look at, which is how you pronounce the word, the vowel in a word like trap or bag, that short A, um, usually for people outside New Zealand, that sounds much more like an E sound. Trap. Trap big. big. Yeah. I mean, now I'm exaggerating it, yeah, so yeah, it's even higher than we usually do it. But we're finding that in places like Mount Roskill, um, the young speakers are not doing that anymore. Oh, wow. They're moving away from that. Trap. More like trap. Bang. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So it actually sounds... A l- I mean, if you're, if you're a linguist, and when I've shown this to people... Um, like Australian sociolinguists, they've gone, they're sounding Australian. And it's like, yeah, sort of, except I don't think they're trying to sound Australian. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a whole lot of other things that are happening in their vowel systems that's still doing New Zealand stuff. But this really, really strongly stereotyped one, they yeah. seem to be getting, they seem to be like keeping it at a distance. And I think that's what's happening. I think they don't want to be associated with those kind of stereotypes of, you know, good Kiwi blokes. And the sort of farming kind exactly, of stereotype, yeah, where it's a little yeah, bit kind exactly. of drawly, kind yeah, of like that. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. The stock we've got on the farm, we've got uh, all sorts of animals here. Um, you do need animals in farming, we've found. Uh, and we've got all manner of animal here. We've got um, cows, horses, sheep, ducks, uh, fowl, chooks. And so that's one way, because it's a very stereotyped fowl, for not only in New Zealand but also overseas. You just like stay away from that one. Yeah. And the easiest way to do it happens to be to do something that sounds a little bit like Sydney cider English. Yeah. How do accents come about? So every language has a sound system, right? And that's its vowels, its consonants, and the way the rules for how they're all put together. There's a melody that's associated with it. So um, some of what people associate with, say, a French accent is actually probably more that kind of melody and the way you do your intonation patterns, that all combines to make what you would call an accent. But it's not an accent until we label it like that. So you might say that the answer to the question, like how does a language come, how does an accent come about, would be to say that an accent is only, only becomes an accent when somebody's paying attention to it yeah. for some reason. Yeah, so there have to be some differences in the pronunciation that are somehow meaningful. Mm. So you talk differently to the way I talk New Zealand English. You don't speak exactly the same. We go out in the office, you know, you can propagate it. Everybody speaks a little bit differently. But we don't say the Emil accent and the Miriam accent, right, because that difference is not what really matters. It doesn't have any social importance. Mm. That must you be one of, the, one of the real difficulties of, of, of working in this area is the idea that we're talking about the New Zealand accent right. and yet no two New Zealanders will sound exactly Exactly. Like. Exactly. So it's some kind of abstraction. Yeah. And so what is that abstraction? It's only defined 
And here's, I suppose, another way we could define an accent. How does an accent come about? It comes about when you've got something to contrast it with. Mm. Maybe that would be another way to define it. So it's sufficiently different from the way Australians pronounce six that we can say that when they say six, that it's different from our six. And it's got a lot more differences from North American English and even more, you know, other differences from British type Englishes, depending on whether you're looking at Southern or Northern British English and so on and so forth. So... An accent only exists in contrast, I suppose, to another accent. Mm. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to say before. You know, so it's, it's actually all about politics and power yeah. and capital, you yeah. know? It's like, who cares and why? You know, it's usually what you have to ask, you know? One thing that I was really fascinated to read in your piece was that, was, was the idea that, you know, a distinct form of New Zealand accented English only really starts to emerge in the sort of late 19th, early 20th century, which, I mean, there have still been, you know, a couple of generations of settlers in New Zealand by that stage. Yeah, I I agree. I I was absolutely fascinated by that. And one of the linguists I interviewed just described that that as an extraordinarily fast time frame. Mm. Um, Normally it takes, you know, we think of accents as developing over, you know, hundreds of years and shifting and changing. But suddenly New Zealand became, you know, a melting pot um, at around the turn of the 19th century. And you had, you know, 50% of all these new settlers were from for, from England. It was about 25% from Ireland, about 25% from Scotland. You had an Australian influence. You had Maori who were here already. And you ended up with just this kind of um, melting pot, particularly in schools of people speaking in a variety of different ways and suddenly coming to an understanding amongst themselves of what actually worked. And what we ended up with was... Um, was New Zealand English. Another fascinating aspect to it, you know, the idea that um, there was consistently pushback against the New Zealand accent for for more than a century. Yeah, th- this really surprised me, actually. Um, I can kind of understand it a little bit more at the, you know, around the turn of the 19th century when people had a very particular idea around how people should speak. And that was a, a lot of that was based on, on class at the time. But as New Zealand kind of um, grew up a little bit, um, you would expect that to change. But there was a lot of suspicion around the New Zealand accent, you know, as recently as the last 20, 30 years, where some research on perceptions of the New Zealand accent found incredibly kind of, you know, negative connotations with speaking in the way New Zealanders do, which I was actually really surprised by. I didn't really... um, didn't really ever think that was the case. Um, I would think that's beginning to change now. And I think, you know, exposure of the New Zealand accent on an international scale has, you know, probably seen a softening in those attitudes. Yeah, but I was very, I was quite surprised with the suspicion New Zealanders have around their own accents. Hello! Hello. <laughs> <laughs> These are the easy bits. Uh, and what's your name, sir? Uh, my name's Brad. Brad? Brad. Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, like, I feel like a barista at Starbucks. I'm just having bread on the cup. I'm mean, uh, made of rocks, as you can see, but don't let that intimidate you. You don't need to be afraid unless you're made of scissors. <laughs> just a little rock, paper, scissor joke for you. You unearthed some very interesting material. For example, that in the first half of the 20th century, there was a, a sort of a widespread stereotype that Māori spoke more cultured English than many Pākehā. That, that really surprised me. Yeah, again, that was a a real standout in, in, in some of the research. 
And it was um, very interesting to read kind of about the development of kind of Maori English, which was suspected of existing um, for, for quite a long time. But linguists actually found it extremely hard to get Maori to speak in kind of a comfortable um, fashion when they actually tried to interview people back in, say, the 90s. Um, but in recent times, we've seen, um, we've kind of seen, obviously, we use the Maori language much more um, consistently in New Zealand. So there's been probably a, uh, an understanding and a you know an acceptance of this is how this is how Maori English sounds and there isn't kind of suspicion around that anymore either. One area where the New Zealand accent resisted change for many years was in broadcasting. But now it's just coming up to 13 minutes past 11 and that's time once again for us to close down. He's to have talks with his Russian counterpart Mr Kosygin and there's widespread speculation that he'll sound out Soviet thinking on the chances of Vietnam peace talks. Good evening. An Auckland man is in prison tonight after being charged with the murder of English tourist Monica Cantwell. This is RNZ National. Namihi Otera. Hewitt Humphrey here with midday report for Thursday. Written in ink, paid for in blood. The Bosnian peace deal was signed in Paris today in a mixture of relief and reluctance. It was described by one of the warring sides as RNZ a... News at 7. Ko ngā kārere o te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Moatharau, good morning. I'm Nicola Wright. Right, fine and sunny weather in te taumata whakatangi hanga kō waiwau o tamatea turipū kā kā piki mā ngā horonuku pō kai whenua ki tana tahu. Meanwhile... And anyone who works in broadcasting will tell you there's still a big swathe of the population which wants people on TV and the radio to talk properly and aren't too shy about saying it. There was a, a piece that Lindsay Perigo did a number of years ago um, on the New Zealand accent and how it's being used in broadcasting nowadays. And he finishes it up with some kind of comment like, we don't expect them to talk like the Queen herself, but is it too much to hope for people to sound like educated adults? And sociolinguists and linguists in general often get a bit exercised by comments like that from people in the public because... One of the things that we're trying to do is to highlight the fact that language always occurs within some kind of larger social matrix. And an evaluation like Perigo's making to say, why can't they sound like educated adults, is actually telling us quite a lot about the social evaluations that are attached to language. And we might want to highlight those in order to kind of break them down and to enhance opportunities for people who are disadvantaged by that. But I think we also still have to engage with the fact that, you know, we're part of a larger society where language is capital. And when you are a broadcaster, when you're a trainee broadcaster, you there's a lot more pressure on you to conform to the norms because you don't have any capital yet as a broadcaster when you're just starting out. One of the few things you can do is you can talk in the accepted manner. You can talk nicely and that gives you a certain amount of gravitas, it gives you a certain amount of authority. And then maybe, you know, in another 20 years, Emil, you can just talk, you can talk however you want, mm. you know. And if you think about it, that's actually a way a lot of the popular broadcasters' careers have gone. Indeed, yeah. You know? Karen Hay, who works here yeah. at, at, well, at, at RNZ. Is... Yeah, actually, and she would be a really interesting one to contrast because I remember when she first came on TV with Radio with Pictures, up until that point in New Zealand's television history, there had not been a presenter on television that spoke with a New Zealand accent. So that was a big deal for them. They knew they were doing something groundbreaking. The unusual taste of Mr Mocker himself, Andrew Fagan. <laughs> and the Mockers have finally put out there, get out of the way of the camera, Andrew. Finally the person who was in charge of 
uh, elocution lessons, he said, well, you've got a lazy tongue, but it'll be the making of you, so go back and tell him you don't need them. So I did. I went back and said, well, he's told me I don't need elocution lessons, so away we went. And there was this huge moral panic about, you know, her vowels, you know. And it wasn't just your vowels, you know, she flapped her T's and all that sort of stuff. I was thinking more like people, yeah, people have had a really long career. You know, if you listen to somebody like, somebody like Mike Hosking would be interesting to compare, you know. I mean, he's gotten, he doesn't care anymore, right? He's his own brand. Yeah, he does, he's got his own capital as Mike Hosking. He yeah. doesn't have to worry about like, whether he's talking the way it newscaster and broadcaster is supposed to sound. Here's Hosking from 1995 on national radio, as it was then, followed by him on News Talk ZB from this year. It's subtle, but if you listen carefully, you can definitely hear a difference. And with us is the Deputy Prime Minister, Don McKinnon. Good morning. The simple truth is this. As I said yesterday, she's running for the hills because she's scared. And he's not the only one either. Here's RNZ's Catherine Ryan from 2008, followed by 2021. First to our feature guest today, a person who has been a cult figure not once but twice in an acting career spanning nearly six decades. William Shatner's careers traverse Shakespearean theatre, Broadway, dozens of films and TV shows from the wonderful to the weird, including a horror movie recorded entirely in Esperanto. Well, the floodwaters are receding in Canterbury, but the region remains in a state of emergency after three days of heavy rain. More than 300 properties had to be evacuated. Some people have been able to return home, but others spent a second night in shelters and are waiting for the all-clear to return. Do you think that we have the sexiest accent in the world? Um, I think my husband has a very sexy accent. Yeah. Right answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is no. he yeah, of course he's a Kiwi. I, I wouldn't know. I mean, it wouldn't have been it would have been inappropriate under the circumstances to have responded if he was yeah yeah if he was I don't know French or something like that. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by Newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ on Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Blair Stagpool and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Keith Lynch and Miriam Meyerhoff, and thanks to Ngā Taonga Sound and Archives for the old audio of Mike Hosking. Matewa. <laughs>